There are so many supplements out there. How do you choose? If there was just one supplement that Trey and I would recommend, it's definitely Ningxia Red. We have consistently drank Ningxia every day since May of 2015. It's a whole body health and wellness supplement that's a powerhouse full of antioxidants and nutrition. Ningxia Red is made with pureed wolfberries, also known as goji berries, along with blueberry, plum, cherry, aronia, and pomegranate juices. These are very high in antioxidants that boost immunity and protect your body against oxidative stress. It also has food-grade essential oils like orange and lemon, yuzu, and tangerine. These provide an incredible dose of D-limonene. Trust me, Google that. This is just a two-ounce shot of liquid gold, and it supports your body for better energy and healthy cellular function. Why is that? Well, that's because you're getting antioxidants equivalent to eating like eight pounds of carrots and 16 whole oranges. Trust me, your liver and your eyes will thank you. If you'd like more information, visit my website, www.amycastles.com. What was the first thing that your mom would ask you before you'd go to bed at night? Did you brush your teeth? I don't know about you, but my mom always asked that. Since I was a kid, healthy gums and teeth have always been important to me. But after a lot of research, I figured out that there's actually a lot of junk in the commercial toothpaste. Everything from SLS to artificial flavors and colors, sweeteners even. And I didn't like the way that they didn't actually get my teeth super clean. I felt like they weren't really actually supporting good overall oral health. Well, I'm so excited to tell you about a product that I created in 2016. Sparkle Dust is a non-toxic, chemical-free tooth cleansing powder that instantly brightens and strengthens and remineralizes your teeth and your gums. It will leave your teeth feeling like never before. They will feel cleaner, smoother, and brighter. You will feel like you just left the dentist. I love that feeling. Sparkle Dust is made from nine different organic earth-sourced ingredients, including minerals and clays. It's a natural solution proven to get you the smile that you've always dreamed of. Learn more about Sparkle Dust by visiting my website at www.mysparkledust.com. It's time for a healthy dose of According to the Castles, the show where we talk about marriage, family, faith, health, nutrition, fitness, and so much more. And now, please welcome your hosts, Amy and Trey Castles. Hey everyone, it's Amy Castles. So in this episode, you're going to see the time. Don't let the time scare you, okay? You can listen to just the first part of this episode, or you can listen to the entire episode, and I can guarantee you this will probably be the longest episode, but basically, here's the deal. I had Dr. Neiman on our podcast, and he is absolutely amazing, but he does talk very, very philosophically, and some of it was so in-depth. It, it Every sentence that he said had, would probably take a, a good, I don't know, 10 times for him to say it over just to really process exactly what he's saying because it is such a different and unique way of thinking about things and thinking about this particular topic. Uh, Dr. Neiman is a clinical psychologist and he specializes in dream psychology. I first heard him speak whenever he spoke to us students in my uh, Institute for Integrative Nutrition Health Coach certification and I found his topic very fascinating. When I had him on the podcast, it was a little different in what he spoke about. And, you know, as a podcast host, I will say this. It has been very challenging to interview someone at times because I realize, oh, my gosh. Well, first off, you have to listen to them. Like you have to listen to them so that you know what to 
ask them afterwards. And if you don't listen, and if you start dazing off into a conversation, then you're going to look like, or in a conversation in your own mind, you're going to look like an idiot because you don't even know what the heck they just said. And then you can't ask the next question to prompt the next topic. And (laughs) so it can be very challenging. Hopefully in this interview that you'll hear next, uh, I did a pretty good job. I don't know. We'll see. But I did decide to record something for you in the beginning that I found very interesting about his topic. Okay, so here it goes. So basically, his philosophy is that we are awake and dreaming at the same time. And or he asked this question, are we awake and dreaming at the same time? Like, you know, what is sleep? We, we actually have a hard time um, really defining that. But we do know that sleep is one of the four corners of our health. And we need to renegotiate our relationship with sleep and almost fall in love with it again. Like get excited about going to bed at night, uh, going into your room and winding down and relaxing. We have heard about the um, the health effects of sleep and what it does for your body. That is, you know, definitely no secret. I asked him that question in the beginning of the episode, and he was basically like, "Yeah, that's like sleep kindergarten question," you know. Um, but you know immunity, um, your, your mood, your hunger, like all those things, your ability to perform throughout the day, those are the benefits of sleep. Um, sleep habits do affect our eating and our metabolism, our weight gain. And one of the things that he said in his training to us was, uh, he grew up with a Jewish mother and his mother was like the full stereotype of Jewish is what he said. And he said, if he ever felt bad, her first question was, did you eat? And he said, she always had so much food in the house. And he was, he told himself, I am not going to ever have so much food because there was so much food in the house. But she did ask that question. And did you eat? And so now he's taken that question. He's transformed it into not just eating, but really the question of, have you consumed? And we are actually described as consumers, as people. We are described as as consumers in this world. And things that we consume are food, uh, oxygen, um, information, light, caffeine. And if you think about those things, we are actually consuming a lot of food. We really do. We, we probably consume more food than anyone in the world. And food is energy. Uh, one calorie is the um, see if I remember this from chemistry. One calorie is the amount of heat that it takes to increase one gram of water by one degree. So a calorie is actual heat and it's energy. Oxygen, oxygen is energy for our body. I mean, we I've talked about breathing exercises that you can do in some of our meditation um, episodes and oxygen actually energizes your brain. So that's um, we we actually over breathe. Like some of us were in some aspects we're not breathing enough, and then in some aspects we're breathing too much because we're like <laughs> it's like little bitty shallow breathing. Um, information we overconsume information. I mean, do you really need to know about the guy that you sat next to in third grade art class that his daughter just won the soccer game. I mean, that is in your brain and you just took on that information. We have we have so much information coming at us and information is stimulating. It is energy. 
we overconsume light and our quality of light is not necessarily a, a good thing. Um, we are consuming over, uh, excuse me, low quality light. We've moved indoors. It's, it's not like in the 1800s, early 1900s. I don't even, when did they, when did they invent light? I don't even remember. Okay. The early eight, 1800s, like, but back before years ago, <laughs> They didn't have light. They didn't have, they didn't have light bulbs. You know, they had to go with the sun. They had to go with the moon. And naturally the sun would go down. Everybody would retreat to their teepees or whatnot. So um, we've, we go, we're indoors and we got every light in the house. I don't know about you, but I've got two teenagers. I swear they have every light on in the house. I'm walking around and going, oh my gosh, turn off the lights. So we have so much light after the sun goes down. And then we then you add on the light of our TVs, the light of our phones. Um, so now you've got light and information. And we consume a lot of caffeine. In, in essence, we are addicted to energy because all of these things are energy. And they, or they transform into energy of some kind. And energy is actually heat. Heat it's actually inflammation. If you ask any acupuncturist, he will tell you, you know, if you say, what's the issue with chronic issues of, you know, this or that, they'll say inflammation, inflammation, it's all inflammation. We're addicted to energy. And in fact, and this is, you know, one of his philosophical sayings is that energy is associated and translated to God. So people will say God or energy or source, when they're saying source, they'll say source of energy, God, the creator, uh, energy, but yet we, and then we, you know, we amplify God, but then it's almost like we're trying to be that as well, because we're just so addicted to what we can do to fill our energy stores. Um, so in essence, what basically what I'm saying is that we're over energized, we're over energized. And it's, it's affecting our ability to sleep. Um, the next question that his mom would ask is, uh, did you poop? <laughs> and, um, you know, you could look at it as just poop, like that's it. But um, that actually can philosophically turn into something emotional, like basically we're holding on. Like, you know, your, your constipation is a huge epidemic. So constipation... And um, your inability to poop, I guess, same thing, is really translated into our um, our lack of just letting go and surrendering. So his mom, you know, was pretty smart when she would ask, did you poop? And then the next question that she would ask is, did you sleep? And again, energy is heat, too much heat, heat, inflammation. So we're walking around heated and inflamed. Well, if you're heated and inflamed, think about the circadian rhythms of the earth and the sun. Naturally, if you are a good sleeper, then you are going to have your temperature, your core temperature look, go down at night. That's why experts say it's good to sleep at 68 degrees or below to help keep your body temperature lower in the at night and then you know throughout the throughout the sleeping time i always get cold at night so i try to you know put on like cute shorts and a tank top pajamas and then i get cold so i have to put on my robe and then i look like a grandma but i don't care i'm not mad at it um okay just a little bit of uh, uh, a note women are two times more likely to eat 
for sleeplessness. So now if you start to think about okay, not sleeping and the, the negative effects of it, we know the positive effects. I mean, if you, you sleep well, you're going you're gonna to be a rock star all day long. But if you're not sleeping well, it affects your, your hunger scales in the daytime because food is energy, right? So if you are not sleeping and you want energy, then your brain is saying to eat because it is jacking up your, your, your leptin and your ghrelin, which is, these are hormones in in the brain that are produced. And so you are then turning to food. And a lot of times people are turning to uh, low glycemic food during the day, and these just spike your energy, and then they just come down. Another thing is that we are really not resting in the day. We're not resting at times in our life. And rest is not really recreation. So for example, we might work all week, be busy all week long. I've described it as, you know, being on the hamster wheel. And you think you're resting on Saturday because you're doing house chores, which, you know, I get it, those things need to be done. Um, but don't confuse that with resting just because you took a break from what you are normally doing. Drinking, uh, smoking, um, marijuana, like the, it's, those may be fun for you, but it's not rest. So it's just important to not consider them as rest. We are restless. Look at that as it that way. We're hyper aroused. We are cooking from the inside out which is really kind of crazy to think about it. He said, many people can't even really describe what sleep is. We only know that what it's not. So if you ask somebody, what is sleep? They might say, well, it's when you're not awake. (laughs) And, but really, um, we need to value sleep. Well, we, we, excuse me, we actually value sleep based on its servanthood to being awake. We think of we only, it's like we, we use sleep, like, oh, I, I want to sleep because I need to be better during the day. I want to sleep to have better performance and memory and immunity and all those things. So, um, but we're not looking at the benefits of sleep for sleep. So let's go into some uh, energy cycles. Um, oh, by the way, let me, let me back up here for a second. We, when we think of sleeplessness, we, we also, it's described as insomnia. Insomnia is strongly associated with chronic hyper arousal. Okay. So when I told you that we are uh, over energized, um, we are restless, think of that as hyper arousal. Um, you have increased body and brain metabolic uh, rates. Um, you have elevated heart rates, elevated core body temperature. Um, increased frequency on a EEG, uh, elevated nighttime cortisol, decreased melatonin at night, nocturnal sympathetic activation, overactivation of the HPA, which I actually don't know what HPA is. So that was just on my notes. So when you think of someone having less sleep, also think of infection, insulin resistance, obesity, diabetes, uh, cancer, arthritis, and mood disorders. These are all Um, issues with low amounts of sleep. We don't get enough sleep because we don't sleep. (laughs) That's in that interesting. We don't get asleep. We don't get sleep because we don't get sleep. It's like, it's just this roundabout cycle. And, and at least at some point, if you don't break that chain, it's just not, it's not going to fix. We're just turning to a pill or something. We um, sleep is just not valued enough 
and uh, it's we're defining it negatively as being non-awake or non-REM. And sleep is highly processed and pretty much artificial. And that's what I mean by just taking pills to um, to create your sleep. You have many different sleep and dream neurotransmitters, uh, norepinephrine, serotonin, melatonin, dopamine, GABA, acetylcholine. These neurotransmitters are produced, some in the gut, some in the brain. So a lot of people will consider the gut a second brain, but Dr. Neiman uh, calls the brain a second gut, and, and I'll, I'll explain why. So your energy cycles um, move with the circadian rhythms of the earth uh, in, the, in the same fashion, and during the first part of your sleep, uh, the first third of the sleep at night, is your deep sleep. That is the time where you're getting your deep sleep in the first third. But the, the later third, the latter third, is your dream sleep. And our bodies do what the rhythm does of the earth with the sun and the moon. And if we're interrupting and we're not able to get into that same rhythm, then we're not going to fall into a good energy or, excuse me, sleep cycle. So I thought this was interesting. This was like, this was my biggest epiphany with him is that we are dream deprived. I've never heard anybody say that. I've always said, heard sleep deprived for many of the reasons that I listed, but I never heard anybody talk about being dream deprived. And I thought that was interesting. I was like, huh, I've never focused on dreaming. Like, hey, the importance of dreaming. Nobody's ever said that. So I thought that was really interesting. And dream deprivation is critical for information processing, assimilation, memory, learning, and emotional healing. These are important. REM suppression is common, and people use many medications to help them sleep, but often these things um, interrupt our ability to dream, and they interrupt our REM cycle. Antidepressants, um, um, benzos, alcohol, caffeine, um, drugs, I and mean, there's t so many different things that affect our ability to dream and affect our REM sleep. So REM deprivation results in a REM rebound, fatigue, and depression. So dream loss, consolidated memories. I thought that was really, I thought that was really interesting. I was like, hmm, consolidated memories. So basically, my brain is digesting all of my memories for the day, and it's spitting out what it doesn't need. And then it's holding on to what it does. And it creates this crazy weird dream, which are very interesting to write down at times. What we keep versus what gets excreted, that's our dream. And we want to dream because when we dream, we have a better ability to uh, have memory and we prevent things like dementia. We have emotional healing when we dream we heal better from our traumas, for uh, emotional losses, things like that. Some, or he says, and others say that depression is a loss of one's dreams. So insomnia, um, which if you have an insomnia and you're not sleeping well, one of the things that is important to need or to, important to have is the assimilation of tryptophan. And 
when he talks about tryptophan, he's not talking about just going and um, eating a bunch of turkey. It's really actually just a um, um, it, it's a myth. It's a myth about turkey being sed- sedative or like warm milk or um, midnight snacks, things like that. There's actually many other things that are better as a um, as as helping your body with tryptophan. So tryptophan is the precursor to melatonin. So melatonin is is the huge guy in this. And sleep apnea, for example, is associated with long-term health issue health issues and the development of other chronic health issues. The cool thing about it, you know, we've talked about um nutrition a little bit. I think I said that. Nutrition affects your sleep. And sleep affects your nutrition. So they go completely hand in hand. It's like they're both equally important. They're partners in a comp- in a big, large corporation, equal partners. Nutrition affects your sleep. Your sleep affects nutrition. So when you think about um, things like sleep apnea and GERD, for example, GERD wakes someone up in the middle of the night. Man, I had, I had acid reflux when I was pregnant. <laughs> it's terrible. It, w- it would wake me up in the middle of the night. It was so disgusting. My heart goes out to anybody who deals with GERD. These things are tremendously improved with a better healthy lifestyle, with better nutrition, and with better care of your overall health with you know this overconsumption of energy and exercise. GERD is associated with the circadian rhythms, uh, like we talked about. And there is some information that just three milligrams of melatonin and uh, even a low-carb diet will help you uh, with GERD. So that's just a little side note there. But um, the circadian rhythms of the earth, they affect um, or they are thrown off tremendously by alcohol, by coffee, by caffeine. Basically, anything that speeds you up or throws you down um, is going to mess up your circadian rhythm. So, so that's the thing. We're, we're trying to match our circadian of our own bodies with the circadian rhythms of uh, what's going on with the earth. Sleep loss, tired loss, low leptin, high ghrelin, other hormones, oppor- your opportunities to eat, reduced act- – these all just – go into other things with, um, reduced activity. Obviously, if you're, if you've lost sleep, you're going to be tired. If you've lost, if you're tired, you're, you're not going to have enough activity. Now you have, you have too much energy in your body from all the other sources, even though it doesn't feel like that. And these things lead to obesity. Your sleep loss affects your, uh, low leptin, high ghrelin, other hormones. These affect your hunger and your food, um, your food selection, your energy expenditure. These lead to obesity. Sleep loss affects your opportunities to eat. Man, I don't know about you, but if I don't sleep well, I mean, it's like I sometimes I just feel nauseous and then I don't want to eat. And then and then I later eat, but then it's too much. Um, you have increased energy-dense food intake. So it's like you don't eat and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, now I can eat and I can eat a ton of stuff because I didn't eat earlier. Well, again, that leads to obesity. So these are just some uh, notes that I took that I thought were important. Now you can move on to this episode and maybe hear what he's saying a little bit better and understand um, what he's saying about dreams. And I think that really should be the overall goal is 
dream. Let's let's focus on dreaming and how we can do that. And some things that I decided to do was to really help my body learn how to dream. And I started doing that by um, taking good care of myself in the evening time. So there's a lot of stimuli in the house. Kids are getting home from practice at six o'clock. I'm finishing home, finishing up dinner. We've got the lights on. So I've tried to calm things down with the lights. I lower the lights. I put on um, these uh, LED candles because they're, they're just battery operated. I get them from Pottery Barn. I've kind of been collecting them over the years because they're ridiculous expensive, but they're the only ones that I can find that are realistic and they don't stink. They don't have the fragrance in them. So um, even some fake candles have fragrance in them, which is interesting. So I I have all these candles all over that um, just light up in the flickering wick. They're amazing. And then I work on eating at a point in time where I can digest it before I go to bed. So I'm not hungry. I'm not um, my stuff. You know, a lot of times people will eat way too much and then your stomach hurts, but then it's confusing for hunger again, if that makes sense. So um, gluten kind of does that to me. It's like I get this like kind of ache, but you know, eating food is great for pain. So (laughs) I I turn to food again and then just kind of makes it uh, all wish washed in there. So, um, you know, just eating at a good, decent hour, but then taking a bath and relaxing with Epsom salts, essential oils, or putting some magnesium flakes in the bathtub, soft music. These things really help my body just come to a relaxation state. And then of course, all my, you know, lotions and essential oils and all that kind of stuff that I'm doing to help calm my body down. My sheets. I recently got linen sheets, like amazon.com linen sheets. They're the bomb. I'll put a link in this episode at the notes. Um, they were like a hundred bucks. They're the most amazing thing. They help with your temperature, your body temperature. So, um, linen sheets are freaking awesome. I I cannot believe how much I I didn't think they were. I'm like, ew, linen, like scratchy. No, they're not. Uh, so linen sheets and then, um, you know, just not being on the phone and reading before bed, what has been really good to help calm my, uh, my energy levels as well. So that blue light, um, the TV, like all that flashingness, it's, it's just stimulating it's energy and it's stimulating. So those things have really helped me. And I have had so many vivid dreams. I don't want to just try and take a pill, drink a tea, um, you know, take this, take that to counteract what I'm doing at the other at the other end of the spectrum. All right, I hope this episode helps you. Please enjoy enjoy Dr. Neiman, and uh, he's a very quite soft spoken, kind individual. Hope to hear from y'all soon. Comment below whenever, or excuse me, comment on this episode whenever I post it on Instagram, and be sure to share with friends. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. I have with me Dr. Ruben Neiman. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> um, okay, I have to introduce you with your long laundry list here. It's not too long, but it's pretty impressive. So Dr. Ruben Nyman is a psychologist and a clinical assistant professor of medicine at the University of Arizona Health Sciences Center. And he is a sleep and dream medicine specialist for the Dr. Wiles world-renowned program in integrative nutrition. 
Dr. Nyman has developed the first truly integrative approach to sleep and dream health. Dr. Nyman is the sleep specialist at Miraval Resort and is a private has a private practice in Tucson, Arizona, and he is the author of four books, The Yoga of Sleep, Healing Night, Hush, and co-author with Dr. Andrew Weil, Healthy Sleep. Thank you so much for being a guest today. You're welcome. Can I start with just a couple of minor corrections? Yes. Uh, I, I was at Miraval for many years. I left there many years ago, so I'm no longer doing that. Okay. Um, running the sleep program there. And uh, it's the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine. We do work in nutrition, which you mentioned, but uh, we, we are a medical center. Okay. So, just to clarify. Thank you. So Dr. Weil's Medical Center is in Arizona. Yeah, it's at the University of Arizona. It's it's now called the Andrew Weil Center for okay. Integrative Medicine, abbreviated AWESOME. Oh, I love it. Awesome. <laughs> and I say that a lot, too. Okay. So I heard, first heard your talk and your presentation with the Integrative uh, Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And you went through and talked about some very important things regarding sleep and dreaming that captivated me. And I started to implement some of those changes in my life and started to notate a lot of my dreams. And it was that's why I knew I wanted to have you on. So first off, I thought we could just talk about the importance of quality sleep in general. Mm -hmm. You know, at this point, it, it would surprise me if there was anybody in our world who, who didn't recognize the importance of sleep. In fact, I, I a lot of people who are kind of tired about hearing about that. There's a little bit of a setup. Uh, and I'm a member of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and other groups that, that, that hope to promote the value of sleep and good sleep and healthy sleep. <clears throat> the thing is, we, we've, we've been telling people that if they don't sleep well, they're going to get sick. They're going to be depressed. Uh, they're going to have all kinds of medical problems. But we're not giving them really good options for healing their sleep. The bottom line, I'm gonna summarize a lot of research, is that we can help people with relatively minor sleep disorders. We can certainly help people with sleep apnea, with serious breathing problems during sleep. But people who have you know, moderate to severe insomnia, trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, we really don't do well with them. So I think um, it's questionable to keep scaring people about the consequences of poor sleep without giving them really effective means of getting it. And those means exist. The problem is that um, conventional sleep medicine is not tuned into that for lots of reasons. When I was looking at some of the the list of the importance of quality sleep, and I was observing how <laughs> these are actual sales tactics for products that people are using to help get quality sleep uh, or memory, energy. Think about how many supplements we're taking for hormones, memory, energy, immunity, alertness, focus, creativity, mood, anxiety, libido. We are inundating our bodies with all these supplements for these things on the micro level. But if we just get better quality of sleep, we can alleviate the need for the dependence for those particular supplements individually. So we have to look at, well, how do we do that? And it should be, you said this in the talk, you said sleep and dreaming is the cornerstone, one of the cornerstones of overall health. 
You know, the question of how do we improve our sleep, um, it, it needs to be perceived. The answer needs to be preceded with a question that is, is hardly ever asked. And that is, what is sleep? You know, and, and when you ask most people, even if you ask most clinicians and professionals what is sleep, they will define it negatively. And I, I don't mean badly. They define it in terms of what it's not. For example, we have negative definitions of health. What is it to be healthy? When you're not sick, when you're not ill, right? Mm -hmm. it's what, that's what it's not. We do the same thing with sleep. People think of sleep as not waking, mm -hmm. not awareness, not consciousness. In fact, the, the technical definition of sleep in the field of sleep medicine is NREM. What is sleep? It's not REM. It's not dreaming. Knowing what something is not is misleading because it doesn't tell us what it is. And I think if we approach the question of truly what is sleep, we venture out of clinical and scientific models into spiritual questions. And and the, the, science, the way science is practiced, which I think is very limited, it's essential, but it's limited, but we need a spiritual component to answer that question effectively. What is sleep? What is sleep? So in your words, what is sleep? Well, the first thing I would say is, is we can't, we can point to it with words, mm -hmm. but we can't capture it. Sleep is an experience. When we, we look at the brain and we say, you know, uh, the brain is sleeping right now, the brain doesn't sleep. It doesn't. The body doesn't. doesn't sleep. It changes the physiological patterns and neurological patterns, but it, it doesn't actually sleep. The brain doesn't dream. We do. So it, we have to recognize that it's an experience. It's something we feel, something we experience. You know, in Taoism, they say the Tao, the, the great truth is impossible to capture in words. Sleep is a lot like that. Mm -hmm. Knowing that is really important. Sleep is an experience. It's unlike any experience in this waking material world. Uh, it's a spiritual experience. It's an experience of nothingness. It's awareness of awareness, or sometimes called pure awareness. So... The bottom line, I would say, what is sleep? It's a profound, ineffable state of serenity. It's profound, deep, deep peace. It's not just the absence of waking. It's the presence of something else. It's, I love that you said that. When I think of, it's the, the absence of waking, we are all looking for moments of serenity. And we're doing that through many different obstacles. There's many different things that are being sought after. I mean, they have since the 70s experiences, journeys, psychedelic thing, uh, journeys, things like that, looking for that place of serenity because the mind and the soul are in emotional pain, hurt, trauma, whatever, and we have that ability to experience serenity in our bedroom <laughs> and it's a, it's, it's going to sleep. And right. rather than saying I have to go to sleep or I need to sleep. What if we changed our words and our verbiage and said, I'm going to experience sleep tonight and do my body a solid and give my body a gift, my brain a gift. I think good sleepers sort of have, they know that intuitively. Mm -hmm. the, you know, good sleepers will say, I love sleep. They love going to bed. Even if they love getting up in the morning and doing life, 
but they, they have a relationship. They, they, there's a knowing. Now, we're taught that sleep is unconscious, that we can't experience it, but that's not true. It's unlike any experience in this world. Now, I think we have to account for the, the tension between the waking world and the sleep world. And, and there have been spiritual traditions. And I'd say most notably Jordan Peterson made the comment. Um, he, he said, if you are awake, if, I'm sorry, if you're alive, if you're alive, you're in trouble. And I think we need to recognize that, that living in the world, living in bodies and in the material world, this is a world where things are born and they die. You know, things grow and then they fall apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, disease is a part of a healthy life. Getting sick, you know, little problems, big problems. Death is a part of, of every life. And I think we need to begin by recognizing in this world, the world we're in right now and we're talking from, um, the world doesn't work. Things will come apart. And they've been like that long before we were born. Even though my mother tried to convince me I started this, you know, it's responsible. <laughs> the truth is that this is the way of the world. We need to be able to manage it. But there, there is no consistent place in the world where we can find peace. We, we kind of leave this world, the notion of the soul leaving the body, to access this other world of dreaming and sleep. So we have to be willing to make an exit from this world. Now, I think the biggest problem in our getting to sleep is materialism or philosophical materialism, believing that this physical world is all there is or that this is primary. And so what ends up is that we we become tethered to, we become, in one sense, I'll use the word loosely, addicted to being awake. So wakefulness is what we do in this world. And we need wakefulness, you know, to live and to manage. We, a lot of our wakefulness, in fact, is focused on solving problems, trying to make this world work, which is, is great. Um, but we'll never make it work, work perfectly. We'll never solve all the problems. And to be willing to kind of step away from that job at night, you know, when the sun goes down, um, and, and to move into another kind of dreamy world that leads us to the sleepy world. That willingness takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of faith to use the word you used earlier. Mm-hmm. What is your definition of dreaming? You know, d- dreaming, um, I'll say, is, is a major focus of my work right now because I think it's so um, seriously misunderstood. Uh, I, I think I think waking, which we all have a familiar sense of, we're doing it now. I think waking is one kind of dream. So dream, I would say dreaming is expanded consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, even now as we sit here and we speak, uh, I'm aware of your image on my computer screen. Uh, I'm a little, a little bit aware of the surrounding context of my office, the bookshelves, the windows, and so on. And then that awareness can expand out and out and out. Dreaming is that kind of expanded awareness. It's being present, but understanding the present moment in a much larger context. So that can happen to varying degrees Um, And let me say something that I think is really important about sleep. The bridge, the the most practical portal connection, the most practical bridge between waking and sleeping, the way we get from waking to sleeping is dreaming. Mm 
as, as we fall asleep, as we go, go through that transition, we all go through a brief hypnagogic. It's called hypno-toward sleep, hypnagogic dream. These are sort of kaleidoscopic, rapid-fire images coming and going, sometimes sounds. Um, so the dream takes us, as we're leaving the constricted world of waking, we go into this dream consciousness and it takes us to sleep. Mm-hmm. And dreaming uh, increases dramatically in the latter half or third of the night where most people wake up. Uh, people, the, the best thing somebody could do to try to get to sleep is not to think their way to sleep because thinking is about waking, but mm-hmm. to go into dreamy consciousness. We all know how to dream. Uh, we remember a dream we had last night. We could think about that. A dream we had last year, we can remember a dream we saw on TV or read in a novel or someone told us. Any Anytime we go back into that dreamy space, we are next door neighbors to sleep. Is this the same as theta, when your brain is in theta? It's it's close. Um, Theta is associated with dream consciousness, along with a mix of some other waves. And we can get into theta um, with various techniques. L- let, me, let me describe this another way. We, we are um, we're addicted to thinking. I said earlier we're addicted to waking. Mm-hmm. We live in what I call the wake tricks, like the matrix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's an echo chamber. You know, we, we understand, we experience... We communicate, we define, we manage life through thinking. And, and uh, we've known, science has known for years that what keeps most people awake at the beginning of the night and sometimes middle of the night is what we call hyperarousal. Technically, that means people are thinking too much. We, we don't lose sleep because we're inadequately sleepy. Most of us are plenty sleepy at the end of the day. We don't sleep well because we're too awake. We're so caught in waking. We think waking is the answer to everything. And but when I say waking, I'm actually talking thinking, because most of us spend most of our waking time thinking. Here's a really important point. The primary function of thinking is problem solving. We think to create up these, uh, to create these representational models. You know, let's see, if I go this way, if I do that, if I call there, if I, it'll get me there. Or then we can think of another model. But thinking is a problem-solving function. And if we have thinking turned on all the time, we live in a world of problems. And I'm not, not knocking thinking. I like it. But um, it's like other things. We, we want to do it when it's helpful, but not have it turned on all the time. So a related question becomes uh, regarding sleep is how can I step outside of thinking? Mm-hmm. Let me ask you that. It, it, what are things that you might do that at least in the moment would take you out of the thinking mind? I have to do a breathing exercise. I have to okay. – actually, I started this about a – about a year and a half, two years ago, every day in the middle of the day, I lay down for about 20 or 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I just, I had an assessment by a Deepak Chopra life coach. And she said, oh, your body needs rest. Your brain is a thinker, and but your body needs the rest. So let's, let's combine those. Anyway, so I lay down and in the past, I would not be able to fall asleep within that 20 to 25 minutes because I would be too nervous that I wasn't going to fall asleep and then I'd be thinking. 
So instead, I started focusing on just breathing, mm-hmm. practicing breath in, breath out, out like a light. We'll have a full on dream, drooling mm-hmm. all of it in 20 mm-hmm. minutes. So, so you're to shift out of thinking, you go from your mind to your body. Breathing is it's yes. happening in your body, and that helps you. Yes. Are there other things that you might do just as a natural part of life that take you a step away from thinking? Of course, <laughs> I don't watch very much TV, but every now and then I like to watch a Hawaii Five O or a Blue Bloods, and mm-hmm. I will get into the show. You're and, a traditionalist, huh? <laughs> I like, I don't know. I just, I don't like a lot of TV, but I do like some of those shows. Mm-hmm. Some of the crime, veg, crime police officer so, ones. So I would say that's kind of a step into a dreamy world. When we're watching a TV show, particularly if it's compelling, uh, it's a story. It's a story like a dream. You know, it's depicted on a screen with sound. But it, it is a move. You're, to do that, you're choosing to shift your attention from ordinary, you know, your ordinary surrounding world into another world. So, again, yeah, that's an example of dreaming. Mm-hmm. Okay. Other things, um, exercise can help some people do that, mm-hmm. you know, when we're focused and some repetitive exercise, walking or running or any bicycling or any number of things. Sex can help people do that. Not necessarily, but it's it's a way, it's a kind of union with another. I would say, um, in a deeper sense, intimacy can do that. When we're really connecting with another person and our hearts are open, we tend to be less involved in thinking and just more present in the present moment. Thinking is focusing us on the future. So it's interesting to think about how to stop thinking. Because we won't, most of us won't automatically do it. We have to intentionally begin a practice of stepping out. When we do that, we go into a waking, what we call a waking dream. It's a it's a waking, dreamy kind of consciousness. Like, you know, appreciating, I'm looking out at, at the side of a mountain here, appreciating the scenery or a person or a, or, or a pet or a cat or a dog um, or, or a piece of artwork or listening to music. We begin to step out of ordinary thinking, problem-solving consciousness. And there's a peaceful quality in that. We just we can begin to smell see, sleep. You had mentioned on a previous talk that I was listening to that the brain is the second gut. Yeah. Can you explain more on that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you're asking. Thank you. So, um, you know, the background nutrition, uh, you probably know for many years, we've referred to the gut as a second brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, beginning years ago, there was the discovery of many of the neurotransmitters that mediate central nervous system brain function that are discovered in the gut. We found that there's serotonin in the gut. Uh, there's melatonin in the gut, a lot more down here than there is in the brain. You know, there's epinephrine, there, there, there's dopamine, um, all of this stuff in the gut. And it turns out, long story short, that our digestive systems have to make really informed, intelligent decisions because we ship all kinds of stuff down there, right? You know, we swallow all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the gut has to say, well, you know, we can let this in and uh, I'm not so sure about that. So that screening is really important and it's complex. So the brain, the gut makes a decision like the brain about what it will keep, what it will make part of our being and our energy and what it will literally excrete. If the brain is a second gut indigestion, 
I'm sorry, if the gut is a second brain indigestion, the brain is a second gut during dreaming, during REM sleep. What happens in REM sleep is interesting. If you think about everything we're exposed to during the day, everything we hear, see, touch, eat, read, or everything, is, you know, billions of bits of information come at us. Like we, we consume all this information and like the gut, the brain has to make a decision about what it will keep. In other words, what it will make part of us, part of our memory, part of our personality, what experiences it will encode versus what it will excrete or forget. That happens in dreaming. In dreaming, we digest waking life, critical waking life experiences. Now, when I look out, it happens to be a beautiful uh, blue sky day here. There's not a whole lot to digest. You know, drinking water, you know, it's not a heavy digestive process, right? It just kind right. of goes through. Some things in life, just a lot of things just go through us. Mm -hmm. An example I like to use is some years ago, I was looking out um, my window from an upstairs office, and I saw a guy on a bicycle, and he got attacked by a car. And, and thank God he was fine, but he was knocked over. And uh, two nights later, I had a dream very much like that. So there's an example of an experience, like many that, took a little more digestion. The, the brain was processing it, the mind was processing it, and that happens in dreaming. In dreaming, we digest the world. If we don't dream well, we have a kind of psycho-spiritual indigestion. We're not taking in what life is offering us. Uh, really poor uh, dreaming, constipated uh, dreaming is, is a synonym for depression. We're no longer really uh, breaking down, digesting, assimilating, incorporating experiences. Of We're not receiving nourishment from daily life. Okay? So we really need to dream for, for that reason and lots of other reasons. And we are not. Um, we are in the middle of a, an epidemic, a silent epidemic, a serious epidemic of dream loss. For many reasons, our culture, in our culture, people are dreaming less and less and less. This whole concept was so profound to me. It made me motivated to want to dream because mm -hmm. I have been focusing on gut health for years. I The whole thing, uh, making sure I'm eating proper nutrition and all the supplements and enzymes and making my probiotics, all those things to make sure that I'm assimilating my food and my nutrition well. So when you brought that concept to the brain and said our dreams are the body digesting our memories and our experiences throughout the day and then here comes this bizarre dream that you have and i thought wow i need to have that i need to have digestion of my memories because we can only fit so much in and if you're it makes sense that if you're not dreaming then you have all this regurgitation that's happening or constipation of this memory in your body and depression usually people who are depressed are thinking so much in the past well they haven't they've got all that memory in their body and they're not digesting it well what is it about nutrition that is affecting one's ability to dream before i jump into that can i just say one other thing mm -hmm. um, there's some relatively recent research that shows if somebody has a traumatic experience, and there's a variety of those, and, and they can get to sleep and dream that night in coming nights, there's a dramatic reduction in the risk for PTSD. Oh. And so I, I think of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, uh, 
extreme examples involve wounded warriors coming back from the war front. Um, the, the, their experiences are just so hard to digest. We say things like, I can't swallow that, you know? I mean, these are overwhelming, but if we can support and encourage people to dream, uh, that will get digested. Otherwise, it's almost like, it's almost like the psychological uh, analog to GERD, you know? This stuff keeps coming up at night mm. and, and people can't sleep. So nutrition and sleep, is that your question? Yes. How does nutrition affect our ability to dream? Well, there's no doubt that um, certain foods and certain people impact dreaming. Um, you know, there, there are anecdotal reports of eating really spicy meals. Now, it could well be that that impacts their sleep, that it's, you know, it, it, there's a kind of a quality of indigestion going on and that's combating or in conflict with their sleep and that could affect their dreaming. Um, I, I think generally speaking, good nutrition, you know, what we know about healthy nutrition, a good balance of vitamins, minerals, proteins, and, and so on. Um, and, 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 you know, um, I, I'm a believer in calorie restriction as well. I think we overeat. I, I think all of that generally good nutrition supports generally good sleep. Some, some specific things is we don't want to eat too close to bedtime. Most of us know this now. Uh, it's a real challenge for a lot of people because nighttime tends to bring up, we disconnect from the waking world, so nighttime tends to bring, bring us internal. It brings up fears and anxieties we may have turned away from during the day. Mm -hmm. Because of that, a lot of people eat excessively at night. You probably know this. You know, mm -hmm. People snack a lot at night. They'll eat comfort foods, which aren't necessarily the best foods in the world. So um, getting comfortable with not eating, I think, is as important as eating well. Mm -hmm. right? um, and then another eating issue that comes up with sleep, there's a common condition called night eating, where people consciously or half-consciously or sometimes unconsciously get up in the middle of the night and eat. You're familiar with that? My... Mother-in-law, hopefully she won't get upset for saying this, and I don't think she does this anymore, but this was back in the 90s. My husband mm -hmm. said that he would wake up in the middle of the night, and she would be completely asleep, sleepwalking, and mm -hmm. eating packages of food out of the pantry in the middle of the night, and right. had no idea that she did that. Right. Right. I remember another woman, she would drink a gallon of milk in the middle of the night, a gallon, and she would wake up in the morning, it's all the milk's gone. Yeah, some people get up and cook at night. Oh, the, the, wow. That's not only the safety of that, is, but also scary too, just in general. Yeah. I, I think, again, general nutrition is important. Uh, and there, there's a tendency nowadays to keep identifying specific nutrients, right, you know, uh, there, there's this particular mineral or, you know, um, magnesium is good for this and potassium for that and so on. And there's truth to that, but it seems to me that um, it needs to be understood in context. It's not just taking about taking one more supplement because right. you know, that's going to impact the system. So I, I do think um, um, a, a lot of nutritionists now are, are more and more inclined to take um, a more systemic or systematic perspective on nutrition. And again, looking at it, not just in terms of energy during the day, 
um, in terms of also in terms of circadian patterns of energy rising and falling, uh, patterns of, of sleeping, resting and waking and so on. Um, we we have so many little pieces of this this jigsaw puzzle, right? Uh, we need the whole picture to be healthy. I do believe that we are like, and you had talked about this that we're over energized. We're over energized with our calories because calories are energy. Mm-hmm. and caffeine-stimulated energy. We're over-energized. We're also energized by our devices. We're energized by the music that we listen to, the TV shows. Right. Someone told me a long time ago, they said, he said, um, he's a mentor. He said, Amy, your brain can only handle so much information. Be careful what you allow into your conscious mind and your yeah. subconscious. And it's similar to overeating, isn't it? We, uh-huh. we energy. You said that when people are having a, a insomnia, um, I heard you say people who have insomnia are usually tired during the day, but too much awake at night. Right. How can how can someone reverse this? Well, first of all, when we say tired, you know, it's not such a simple thing. Um, the, the sleepiness, most people know what sleepiness is. You know, their their eyes are rolling back in their head, their head's getting heavy. Um, but there's also fatigue, which can accompany sleepiness, but it could be independent. And fatigue is more of a heavy body. I, I believe that most sleepiness is the result of insufficient sleep, but most fatigue is the result, for complex reasons, of insufficient dreaming. The body wants to go down. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, what was your question? Oh, oh yeah, about sleepiness. Um, it turns out that pe- generally people with insomnia are actually less sleepy during the day than normal sleepers. Mm. Um, because the, the hyperarousal, the excessive wakefulness that keeps them awake at night also masks their sleepiness during the day. They're sleepy under the surface. Yes. If they slow down, they feel it but they don't look sleepy. And then they consequently, they come away thinking, you know, I do fine without sleep. Mm-hmm. When is the time of dreaming? Because I'm a little confused on that. Are we, are we getting into REM sleep first and then dreaming? Are we dreaming REM sleep, then dream again? How does... That's an important question. Well, first of all, if we think of dreaming generally as expanded consciousness... Um, there can be dreaminess even during the day. In fact, there's a rhythmic pattern of, of hemispheric oscillations um, back and forth during the day. It's, it's roughly a 90-minute pattern. It's similar to the, the sleep cycle, which runs 90 minutes. So the dominant hemisphere for most of us, the left hemisphere is active for about 70 minutes. And that's where a lot of our thinking occurs. And then it quiets down and the non-dominant hemisphere lights up. And we go into more of a waking, dreamy consciousness. We tend not to like it. You know, we feel like we're getting distracted. Um, You know, there are those moments during the day when you just want to go off into la-la land. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't focus anymore. You want to stretch and yawn. Um, Maybe get up to use the restroom. You're wondering if one of your colleagues has a piece of pound cake. Or maybe you'll get some coffee. So there's that moment where our energy recedes and it pulls us into this dreaminess. But at night, 
there is a, a brief onset dream when we, we're first falling asleep. Um, the waking ego is letting go, and it's called a hypnagogic dream. Hypna from hypnos, the Greek god of sleep, gogic meaning going toward. Mm. So um, that dream can last 30 seconds, a minute or two. Many people are not aware of it. Many of us are. Again, it's not a narrative-driven dream. It's like images coming and going, dissolving, kaleidoscope. Um, our connection with the waking world is coming apart. Um, and then we, we go right and sleep. We spend most of the first half of the night in stage sleep. There's a little bit of REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. Uh, that usually starts for five minutes or so, about an hour and a half into sleep. And then those periods lengthen. Um, I should say we've known for decades that there, there's a kind of dreaming that happens in REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. Um, that's the most vivid kind of narrative-driven dream, you know, the dreams we remember. But there's also dreaming that happens in non-REM sleep. If we think of the dream uh, metaphorically as a cloud, some clouds are vivid, cumulus, bright, against the backdrop of this intense blue sky, right? Mm -hmm. You can't miss those. And then there are these sort of white, cirrus, um, fleeting clouds. So the dreams are like that. Some of them are, are, are more wispy, and some of them are really vivid. REM sleep dreams are vivid. We have most of those in the latter third of the night. We usually awaken not from sleep, but from dreaming. And, and if we routinely awaken with an alarm clock, we're always snipping off the end of our dreams. It's like being in a movie theater and, you know, in the last 10 minutes of the movie, they turn the lights on, they turn the projector off and they usher you out of the theater, you know. Oh, my gosh. I, I know exactly what you mean. I started writing down my dreams and I thought that was really helpful I don't know what to make of them at this point in time, but I feel it was it was helpful. It's actually gotten me excited to, to sleep every night, which I love to go to sleep every night. I'm a good sleeper. I always make sure I get about eight hours. Uh, I want to have a, a great day, so I need to have my eight hours. But I started writing down my dreams, and that was helpful. I also started really taking my time as a break from the day, so... If my day, you know, when I say my day, I mean, there's, we have three kids, so it's making sure they're all in bed and then it's my time to take a bath and start to calm down. So I've given myself a good hour to hour and a half of calm down, de-stress, relax, you know, put on all my lotion and all that kind of stuff. And then I get into bed and then read. I've started to change up where I read. So not on my phone, either on my Kindle or an actual book. Mm -hmm. um, it's helped me to dream better. It's helped me fall asleep better. I feel more energized throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And I still lay down and have my 20-minute, you know, even if, it, if I fall asleep, great. If I don't, it's okay. I know that I still was into basically that hypno state almost. And... Mm -hmm. The days that I teach yoga, by the way, I've noticed that when I, I'm in class, all, all these thoughts will come in, but they also kind of float out. They come in and float out. We're in a very calm, relaxing state, and it's now it makes sense what you're saying. It's, it's almost a dreaming state, but it's a conscious. So these thoughts are coming in. 
memories from the day, things I'm thinking about in the future. They'll come in. I don't stress about it. They'll just kind of move out. But I always leave with a sense of completion that I just, I, you're, it's like I digested, I digested mm -hmm. memories during that time period. I think when yoga is done well, it, it, it includes this shift into dreamy consciousness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the notion of yoga is about oneness. Really, the, the, the hatha, the, the physical postures were developed in large part to help people create a unified sense of consciousness. Um, I, I was involved with uh, uh, a yoga tradition for years, and uh, we talked about something called Turiya. There, there's this idea that, so let me go back a step. There, there, it's widely accepted that there are three kinds of consciousness, main kinds of consciousness. There's waking, mm -hmm. dreaming, and sleeping. And we tend to see them as, as separate, and they can function separately. But when you bring all three of them together, it's, a, it's kind of a yogic, a whole consciousness. You can actually be awake, um, dreamy, and sleepy, or sleep at the same time. Um, most of us briefly go through that when we wake up in the morning. It's interesting. Waking up is, a, I think, an exquisite hybrid state of consciousness. We call it grogginess, right? Because when we're groggy, we're part sleep, part awake, and part mm -hmm. dreaming. It's really helpful to linger in grogginess. Oh. It's an interesting space to be. It's its own world. But I want to go back to your comment about your notating your dreams. Um, so the, there's a, um, you know, a lot of publications. In fact, the most popular dream books in the world are books we call dream dictionaries. And these are dream, these are books when, when you, look, you look up an image, you know, I dreamt about an apple. You look it up under A, it says apple sex, right? Mm. Um, you dream about a telephone pole, you look it up under T, that's phone sex. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm spoofing, obviously. <laughs> the idea that, that um, the dr dreaming is, is solely a reflection of waking life is mistaken. E even though images from the waking world are digested, they're brought into another sphere it's important, really important to consider that dreaming um, is not just reflecting waking life. It, it is, it's a portal, it's a gateway to another world. Mm -hmm. We sometimes call the world behind the world. I think of it as a spiritual world. So whatever you dream, Amy, I mean, it's interesting to look at the meaning, but what, whatever it is, dreaming itself is a kind of psycho-spiritual exercise. We're, we're having, we're practicing being in another consciousness. So there's value to just dreaming, whether it's a good dream or a bad dream or a sensible or irrational dream. Uh, and I think more important, as interesting as it is to, to know, to decipher the meaning of a dream, I think more important than knowing the meaning of any particular dream is coming to know that dreaming itself is meaningful. Even if I don't know what it means, it's like, hey, this is cool. This is this is really good. And it's a part of our overall health that will help you in every aspect of your life. Because it will, as it will also help us in every aspect of dying. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. And I cannot wait to... I need to look at your book from with the co-op with Dr. Weil, Healthy Sleep and also the yoga of sleep.
So I would encourage anyone who is listening to this podcast to go check out any of those books, The Yoga of Sleep, The Healing Night Hush, and um, Healthy Sleep. But also, if they're really struggling, where can they find you? Where can they look for more of you to help in their study? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of information linked on my website, okay. Dr. Com. Uh, a lot of free information, articles I've written for HuffPost or Aeon or other places. And, and I, think, I think that kind of information is very useful. Um, I would say in summary, too, it's important to understand the impact of thinking on sleep, but it's as important to impact, I'm sorry, to, to, to affect transitioning out of thinking into sleep. Mm-hmm. Now, people need to realize that this is not just about a new technique or a set of ideas or understanding or concepts. Um, it, sleep is not a concept. We have concepts about sleep, studying the brain. Um, you know, as it was famously said, you know, the name is not the thing and the map is not the territory. It, we want to head to the experience of it. So, yeah, the articles can help people um, kind of break out of to, to break out of the bubble of waking, we have to first realize we're in a bubble. You know, if we don't realize that, we will never, never break through. And I think, again, the matrix is a good model for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of us have a sense that there's more to it than this life. Yes, you know? absolutely. We, we, we want to stop just digging deeper and deeper into waking, but expand out. So, yeah, there are lots of articles. And um, What about and your clinic? Uh, I, I do a little bit of clinical work now. I don't do a lot. The Center for Integrative Medicine, um, we do have a clinic. I teach there. Okay. So I'm involved in teaching. We teach some residents, but mostly postdoc doc fellows. These are physicians and sometimes PAs and nurse practitioners. So uh, I do, um, I have programs that I teach. I teach one in, in the Bahamas at a yoga center twice a year, coming up again in April. It's on my website. Uh, I have professional trainings for psychotherapists. The main one is in Cape Cod this summer. Uh, if people are interested in dreaming, I highly recommend um, the International Association for the Study of Dreams. I'm presenting uh, a few things at their meeting in Ashland, Oregon in June. So all this is, the events are listed on my website. Okay, awesome. And that's drrubenniman.com. It's actually just Dr. Nyman, D-R-N-A-I-M-A-N.com. Or if you just Google uh, my first name, R-U-B-I-N, and the word sleep. Okay. You'll trip over my stuff. Yes, you're you're all over. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for showing us that we've been looking at things backwards. What you're saying is not backwards. We've been looking at it backwards. And... It's beautiful to see it the way that your mind has worked it all out to put in a way that is understandable, but also motivating. To- and, I, and I would add that I think the bottom line is sleep is a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have friends who meditate an hour or two a day. They say I practice every day for an hour or two. I count my sleep as spiritual practice. So I get a lot of hours of spiritual practice. Ooh, in I'm, you know what? I'm going with that too. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye.
Thanks for listening to another episode of According to the Castles with Amy and Trey. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. To stay up to date with the castles, follow Amy on Instagram at acastles. Until next time, have faith, enjoy life, and love abundantly. Spread the word about health and wellness and a holistic lifestyle. Also want to ask that you'll rate with five stars and give us a nice review. Thanks so much and have a great day. There are so many supplements out there. How do you choose? If there was just one supplement that Trey and I would recommend, it's definitely Ningxia Red. We have consistently drank Ningxia every day since May of 2015. It's a whole body health and wellness supplement that's a powerhouse full of antioxidants and nutrition. Ningxia Red is made with pureed wolfberries, also known as goji berries, along with blueberry, plum, cherry, aronia, and pomegranate juices. These are very high in antioxidants that boost immunity and protect your body against oxidative stress. It also has food-grade essential oils like orange and lemon, yuzu, and tangerine. These provide an incredible dose of D-limonene. Trust me, Google that. This is just a two-ounce shot of liquid gold, and it supports your body for better energy and healthy cellular function. Why is that? Well, that's because you're getting antioxidants equivalent to eating like eight pounds of carrots and 16 whole oranges. Trust me, your liver and your eyes will thank you. If you'd like more information, visit my website, www.amycastles.com. What was the first thing that your mom would ask you before you'd go to bed at night? Did you brush your teeth? I don't know about you, but my mom always asked that. Since I was a kid, healthy gums and teeth have always been important to me. But after a lot of research, I figured out that there's actually a lot of junk in the commercial toothpaste. Everything from SLS to artificial flavors and colors, sweeteners even. And I didn't like the way that they didn't actually get my teeth super clean. I felt like they weren't really actually supporting good overall oral health. Well, I'm so excited to tell you about a product that I created in 2016. Sparkle Dust is a non-toxic, chemical-free tooth cleansing powder that instantly brightens and strengthens and remineralizes your teeth and your gums. It will leave your teeth feeling like never before. They will feel cleaner, smoother, and brighter. You will feel like you just left the dentist. I love that feeling. Sparkle Dust is made from nine different organic earth-sourced ingredients, including minerals and clays. It's a natural solution proven to get you the smile that you've always dreamed of. Learn more about Sparkle Dust by visiting my website at www.mysparkledust.com.